Welcome to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Vogt. I'm the Dean of Bethel Seminary, and I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, Laurel Bunker, who is a co-host and co-sponsor of this podcast. Laurel is the, and I always have to think about this, it's the Associate Vice President of Christian Formation and Church Relations. Absolutely. Okay, got it. Well, welcome to this podcast. We were in episode one together, and now the podcast is a few episodes in, and so far, so good. Things so are, far, so good. Things are going well. Mm-hmm. We wanted to have a conversation today in light of some recent news. Laurel, you and I have talked about this. We've, we've all heard the news. Our listeners have heard it, I'm sure, about Josh Harris and Marty Sampson, two fairly prominent evangelical leaders. Josh Harris was the author of the book, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and he was a pastor, and then announced a week and a half ago or so that he has left his wife of over 20 years, and he's leaving the faith and doesn't really consider himself a, a Christian, or certainly not in the same way that he that he did. Marty Sampson was a songwriter for Hillsong United, and he was one of the main songwriters of that, and he posted a statement as well basically saying he's got all sorts of questions and and said he's just not he's not in it anymore uh, was kind of what he what he said now he's kind of clarified things that he's not suggesting that he is completely left the faith but he says it's just on really shaky ground at this mm-hmm. point but either way I think it's important that we talk about this because certainly our listeners are pastoring and leading churches and ministry agencies and they're talking about this. They're thinking about this. So I thought we could dive in a little bit and, and talk about this. This was your your idea to have this conversation, I think, is a great one and an important one that we do this. But let me just read um, what Marty Sampson had to say, because I think it's important to kind of frame the conversation. I have a lot of concerns, obviously, for him, but also just what it means for the church. So let me just read. Marty Sampson writes and says, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. This is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I'm not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. God got so much more to say, but for me, I'm keeping it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. All I know is what's true for me right now, and Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what, uh, no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall, the sun will come up tomorrow. So the question that I have in that is, uh, and I don't, I don't mean this as an, as an indictment of his particular pastors, and I'm not here to criticize Hillsong or defend Hillsong or, or anything like that, but just in general, when we see this kind of thing, I, I read that he's been in this church since he was 16 years old. So why does a ministry staff member at a church struggle 
with these kinds of things for after so many years. I mean, the question of hell is not an uh, you know obscure area of theology. the mm-hmm. The question of miracles is not an obscure area of theology that one shouldn't be able to to wrestle with. So, I guess I want to throw that out for our discussion a little bit about why why are we in this situation? Why is he in this situation? But again, not so much focusing on him, Mm -hmm. but why are we experiencing this in the church, two prominent leaders Mm -hmm. doing this? And and how can our listeners be equipped to address that? What are your thoughts on this? When you read Marty's um, statement, the first thing I thought is, that sounds like a 16-year-old. I have heard that kind of skepticism from very young people, but his overarching broad stroking of the issues is simply not accurate. We have spoken, I think, repeatedly about pastors, uh, music individuals who have fallen away. I think it is how we talk about those things. Uh, The issues of science. Uh, Listen to Ravi Zacharias, Marty. Listen to other apologists. There are many, many, many people uh, who have been talking about science. What What is not clear to me is Marty's articulation of, yay, I'm free, and where his conversion experience ever happened. It mm. sounds to me like Marty was someone who grew up in the church, but perhaps never made a personal decision to serve Jesus Christ because he never really identified his sin. The idea of four billion people going to hell is a a misunderstanding of the gospel, of who God is, of the intention of hell, of the reality of that. He could have read Rob Bell a long time ago and seen that others wrestle with that, or Bart Ehrman, or other individuals who have wrestled. But we are full of, in, uh, of individuals within Christendom, Oz Guinness and others who have wrestled faithfully with these topics. And I just wonder if he hasn't been so um, surrounded by a particular way of doing things or of writing songs that he hasn't done the work of not only looking to be discipled, but being one who studies the gospel himself. So his... Uh, when I first read that statement, I was a bit confused by his jubilation around his freedom, mm-hmm. and yet these very basic questions that it seems to me that he hasn't taken the time to research. One of the things that I do quite often is read the work of former atheists, particularly many who have come out of science, who have done the work to yeah. actually address their skepticism. Sure. And it sounds to me like Marty hasn't done that work. And so... Um, I'm concerned for him, uh, but I also would hope that there would be pastors out there, including Brian Houston and others of Hillsong, who would actually sit down with him and to ask questions of him in terms of that, because he does represent Hillsong and a brand. And I think that that causes perhaps questions for others also about the ministry of Hillsong in and of itself outside of its broad musical reach. It's yeah. one of the largest churches in the world. Right. So what does that mean if one of their own from inside, which is perhaps neither here nor there, it's one person, but what does it say as someone who represents the brand yeah. is saying, I'm free? Well, I think, I, I think what disturbs me is, I, I hear all that you're saying, and I, I agree with that. It's, it's about how someone, a staff member at one of the largest churches in the world, can be so immature in their faith. And I, I'm, 
I don't blame him in one sense because mm-hmm. if he hasn't been discipled, and again, I don't, I, you know, I I don't want to focus specifically on Marty because I don't know him and I don't know Hillsong well, other than what I read about it. But just the fact that someone, you know, the Bible is full of contradictions. Well, mm-hmm. when we properly study the Bible, we understand that. I, I prefer the term, frankly, apparent contradictions. Mm-hmm. The, the, there are things that seem contradictory, but when we understand things in their proper context, we look at genre, we we deal with all these things in, in a way, we can make sense of those. Now, I'm not saying there's not problematic passages, and I'm not saying that, that we can just harmonize everything and sweep un- everything under the rug. I'm not suggesting that, but I am saying that there are robust ways of dealing with these things. And, and to, to be at his stage in prominence mm-hmm. in, in the church and not be able to wrestle with those things, that's, that's problematic. And I guess I wonder if this is happening in other places where you know, someone is a very gifted musician and so they're, they're put up front and, and they're given the opportunity to, to be leading like that. Maybe it's teaching Sunday school. Maybe, sure. it's, uh, maybe it's doing other things in the church, but they really haven't been properly discipled and I I think I think that puts the church in in danger. I would agree. I there are two things that come to mind and some of our listening audience may uh, know these names as well but Michael Gunger, who is also quite a writer has uh, struggled in his faith as well and as far as I know has walked away from his faith as well and Gunger was uh, has recorded uh, many many uh, hits and has also been a writer. But there's also another story that um, I think about, and that is of a man named Brian Harden. And Brian Harden uh, has created an app called the Daily Audio Bible, uh, where he has read through the Bible now every day for the last 10 years. Brian was a music producer in Tennessee and grew up as a Christian and looked up after 10 years and had essentially lost his faith. Hmm. So he was recording music. He was around the language of worship. But he had been so busy about the production value that he had lost his own wonder and relationship of God. As a result of that crisis of faith, he wrote a book called Passages, and I commend that to people to read, where he recognized that in order to have an intimate relationship with God, he needed to be in the Word of God Mm. himself. He needed to know who God was. He needed to spend time reading the entirety of the gospel, not just a verse Mm -hmm. to memorize. And he talks about how those passages brought him back to an intimate understanding of the Father and as a result, created the Daily Audio Bible Mm. as a means to help others fall in love with the God of the Word. And so I really, when we talk about this, Peter, I'm not that surprised because one of the things that I think we see today, and pastors, you all know this too, as we have seen in much of the research, that we have a generation that is illiterate. I am a part of a a movement right now called the Year of the Bible for 2020, uh, part of the foundation of our desire to get people engaged again with the Bible is research that's been done by American Bible Society. And their work indicates that only 24% of people in the United States are engaging with the Bible at any given time. Mm. 90 million people in their research identified an interest or a curiosity about the Bible. 42 million of those identified as being Christian. Mm. So there are individuals who identify as being Christian. Maybe that means churched. Yep. And never having made a personal decision for Christ. But there are those 
for whom a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is an individual how I feel decision, which is divorced from discipleship and intimacy with God and through the word. I posit that you cannot know God without knowing his word. Mm, And I think that there are too many people who are looking for an experience Mm -hmm. and a feeling more than being rooted and grounded in the word uh, to know how that word transforms us. When I was teaching Old Testament courses, I was shocked at times at the lack of familiarity that people had with Old Testament books and the number of times where people said to me when I would require them to read, just as a simple assignment, reading the biblical books, they would say, this is the first time I've ever read Leviticus. And now, you know, if I were, when I was a pastor, that might not surprise me in some ways, but these are folks who have been identified as called to ministry. These are people who've completed an undergrad degree mm-hmm. and and have experienced a call to ministry, you'd think that one of the kind of basic things would be to read the whole of the Bible. <laughs> and, yeah, we would think that. And and yet, that's not the case. In no, it's not the case. And I remember in my own discipleship journey, honestly, that there was a clear um, honoring of the New Testament over the old. So I think theologically, Peter, we and the pastors who are listening to this podcast and others who are listening... I think we can all go back in our discipleship experience and ask ourselves, how were we discipled and how were, in many ways, we were indoctrinated? When I was being introduced to the Bible, I was told that the Old Testament was antiquated and really had nothing to do with Jesus. Okay, now I got to get on my soapbox. Get on the soapbox, Peter, because we do know it (laughs) does. When we read the Gospels, when we read Isaiah, we see the clear pointing to the Gospel. That's right. We see how the Gospel uh, identifies and talks about God and talks about His plan and the chosen people. We see the northern and southern kingdoms. You don't have to love history in order to see the beauty of the Old Testament and how the Old Testament points to the new. And simply because we call it old, it does not mean that the story is old. Right. It does not mean that the application is old. But I do see, even as a youth pastor, having been a youth pastor, a clear uh, honoring uh, to, of, the, of the New Testament over the old. And I think as a result, people have simply dismissed it as something yep. that's not understandable. It's too long. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. It right. doesn't have to do with my faith. And so right. I'm not surprised. Well, and I think I don't want to go too far down this road, but because maybe that's a topic for another episode. Certainly. But uh, but I think part of the issue is that we we erroneously think Old Testament law, New Testament grace, when in fact, grace is on every page of the Bible. You can't understand Jesus and his life and ministry, his fulfillment of the sacrificial system, his death on the cross without understanding the Old Testament. Absolutely. And, and when I was teaching the course called Hermeneutics, you know, about biblical interpretation, the the challenge that I had in a sense was to start helping students understand that the the Old Testament is not as foreign as as people think, that it's it's more relevant than they think, and the New Testament is not as familiar as they think. We get comfortable with the New Testament, and I think falsely. We we don't tend to read it in, in the right ways. Um, we don't look at culture. We don't look at context, all these kinds of things, because we think we get it. We think we understand it. But let's shift gears, much as I would love to keep going down that road, and, and we could spend hours on that. But, but I want to think about what... So... What's the takeaway for our listeners? I mean, as we process this uh, with, you know, 
Josh Harris and, and Marty Sampson and things that, that happened, what would you, what would you recommend to, to our listeners who might be wrestling with this as to how to prevent this from happening in, in their church? Uh, as someone who works with young adults, I, I think there are a number of things that I would suggest. One is that we must be mindful to balance the activities that we have for young people with ensuring that we are introducing them to the fullness of the gospel. Mm -hmm. I think that there are many parents and sometimes pastors who really want to ensure that we've got wonderful programming, but oftentimes that programming is about building relationship, and that's wonderful. We're singing songs, and we're ordering pizza, or we're taking them to camps, and they're having decidedly very important spiritual experiences with God. But once that happens, if we don't have a very clear plan to disciple through the Word of God, not just an interesting book, but to teach young people how to navigate the Bible, we are missing a important opportunity to help young people understand who God is in and through His Word. Without that, we are really leaving people to technology and to a culture where Satan speaks very loudly and where they will find answers that are very contradictory to the gospel itself. Yep. So I would also encourage pastors to be mindful of um, how we oftentimes, as we build our churches, desire very gifted people. And I think gifting is wonderful. But oftentimes, gifting can blind us mm. to the deeper issues of the soul and spirit that we don't always have the time to look at, but because sure. we're worried about the budget or we're worried about other things that are important. I see at Bethel very, very gifted students who are on our stage all the time leading worship, but their musicality does not replace their spiritual mm. discipline. Mm -hmm. It cannot. Yeah. And so we've said no to students who have the most angelic voices mm. or can play multiple instruments, but they are arrogant. Mm. They have always been told that they're the best. Yep. They've had their eyes on being a Marty Sampson rather than being satisfied in being a disciple of Christ. Yeah. And so I think it's very important that churches be mindful about who we are selecting and why, yep. and uh, and regularly after we select individuals, ensure that we are regularly talking to our staff about their soul and their spirit, and that pastors are subjecting themselves to leaders who are checking in on their soul and spirit, because it is warfare to do this yep. work, and it becomes more and more complex. So I think uh, I certainly see this in a lot of uh, conversations that I'm having with individuals, is there is a lure mm -hmm. to giftedness, but giftedness cannot replace spiritual maturity and a well-discipled, disciplined individual who is accountable to other individuals who are spiritually mature to ensure that they are walking mm. in a God-ordained manner, and that when they are not, that they have somewhere to go without the fear of judgment where they can step away for a season without fear of losing their jobs yep. or being exposed, but that they can get healthy in order to come back. I think if we would have seen some of that in some of the larger headlines that mm -hmm. we've seen in the last couple of years, we may not be yep. in the position in evangelicalism that we are to the degree that we are right now. I think that's great. I think that's great, Laurel. One of the things that I think about with respect to this too is 
being willing to really address these kinds of questions and to recognize that people have these questions. I think there may be a tendency to think that we don't want to we don't want to scare people off by talking about hell or or this kind of thing. And and I'm not saying that has to be in the pulpit every every week, but we have to address these things. When I was pastoring, I did a sermon series, for example, called God I Was Wondering. And I I asked the congregation to submit questions. So if, if you could ask a question of God, what would you ask? And I didn't presume to speak for God in the sense of you know, divine revelation directly to me, but from his word addressing this. And, and it was interesting because we, we did tackle questions like, is hell real? Is heaven real? Uh, and, and I think we get we get scared of, of questions. We get scared of doubt. One of the things I did too when I was pastoring was in, we had two services, a classic service, more traditional and a contemporary service. In the contemporary service, after the message, I would take questions and let people ask follow-up questions right there. And of course, preaching is a weird activity in the sense that we don't do that. Normally we interact with with people. Even even something like this, people can send an email and tell us where we're wrong and uh, and that sort of thing. But we, I think we get afraid of questions, and, and I think it's important that pastors communicate to their congregation that it's okay to have questions. It's okay to wonder about these things and even to doubt at times. But what we find, for example, when we look in, in Scripture, when you look at the book of Psalms, I mean, the Psalms of lament, how long, O God, will you ignore me? You mm-hmm. know, this is this is the psalmist pouring out their heart and mm-hmm. and accusing God of ignoring them. That's pretty heavy stuff. You don't hear that sort of thing in church very often. Mm-hmm. What's important about that is that the psalmist is asking God that question, mm-hmm. not walking away, not not saying, I'm going to go talk to my friends about this, but, but going to God and mm-hmm. saying, here are my doubts. Mm-hmm. I don't always believe that you're going to do good to me. Mm-hmm. That's okay to mm-hmm. say because... It's directed to God. God welcomes, I think, our questions. That's why these psalms are in Scripture. It's not... God doesn't say, don't ever ask those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. He, he included them in the canon of Scripture. And, and I think we can appropriate those things. Not that we want to be blowing with the wind and, and not having any certainty. And I think certainly leaders need to have confidence about these kinds of things. But I think we need to help in our confidence. We need to help people, whether they're staff members or members of the congregation, to say it's okay to ask those questions because we don't need to be afraid. There are good answers to these questions. We don't need to be afraid that somehow the the doctrine of hell is going to prove that God is unjust and and unfair. That's that's simply, I don't think, the case. When we understand it and think it through, we, we have a different understanding of it. But we have to be willing to do that work. And, and that means taking tough questions, figuratively or literally, from the pulpit and and helping people really wrestle with these things. Absolutely. So part of what I'm thinking about, Peter, is now that Marty Sampson has articulated these questions, who's answering them? Yes. Is he open to those questions being answered? Um, there is certainly a level of concern I have because I think individuals who might nod their head with him and say, yeah, I'm me too, right on. I'm going to follow Marty Sampson and just forget all about it. I think we have to be mindful and help people say, wait a minute, wait a minute. His journey is his individual journey. Uh, he is not a theologian. He is not a pastor. If you have doubts or questions, please do that. But now that he has articulated these things, very answerable questions. I'm wondering who is pastoring him, uh, who is going to help him 
to solve this kind of crisis that he has? Is he open to that? Uh, And how do we lovingly continue to pray for him and not simply write him off because there are other things to do? How do we not write off a Joshua Harris? How do we lovingly stand with people uh, as they uh, suffer through? How do we restore such a one? Uh, How do we uh, hope that his testimony on the other side of this crisis might be to the praise and glory of God and bring others back with him? Sure. The challenge of today's technology is those kind of uh, articulations go far and wide, and too often individuals aren't concerned about what's going to happen. But my heart is certainly... Um, desirous of seeing somebody come alongside Marty and say, Marty, there are good, those are good questions, but mm-hmm. there are even better answers. Right. Don't give up. Right. And I think the technology that you just mentioned, it's a double-edged sword in that, yes, his questions and his doubt, we, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm not a huge pop culture guy, even Christian pop culture and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So I know Hillsong. I didn't know his name particularly. I knew some of the songs and that sort of thing. But I know about his story and and I know about what happened to him because of social media, the technology that allows us to know all this. At the same time, we know this, it does give us an opportunity to address these things in our churches because there are undoubtedly people in my church and your church who have some similar questions to what he's to what he's raising. And this does give us an opportunity to address it. I, I think, you know, we pastors could design again a, a message around addressing this, or, or a series of messages mm-hmm. around addressing these kinds of questions. And and what does it mean to to have questions, to have doubts, even at times, or to or to wrestle with these kinds of things? And as you point out, there are good answers to that, and we need to help people understand that. And and I think it's also important that we not just limit ourselves to pat answers. You know, it's very easy to say, well, there's this this quick answer, this one Bible verse addresses that. I think I think authenticity demands a deeper reflection and wrestling with these kinds of issues so that and to recognize that not every question there are good answers, I think. They're not always going to be satisfying completely to uh, to people and at that particular stage in their life. I'm reminded of the life of C.S. Lewis, who wrote the book the, the Problem of Pain, which mm-hmm. is a, an exposition of the, the problem of evil and, mm-hmm. and what happens in the world. Then he goes through the death of his wife, mm-hmm. and he writes the book A Grief Observed. And he originally published that under a different name. And I think if, if you had read both books, many, many people have read both books, but if you, at the time, reading both books, I think a lot of people would have said, boy, the person who wrote A Grief Observed really needs to read the problem of pain. Mm-hmm. And he has read it. He wrote them <laughs> both. And, and I think that's a, a, a something important here too, to recognize that in the moment of pain, and I don't know what precipitated these crises for either of these men, whether there's something going on in their in their personal lives that did this or if it's purely intellectual doubt, but, but there can be times where our experience of life makes it really difficult for us to hear even really good answers. Mm-hmm. And and as leaders, I think we need to be okay with helping people sit for a while mm-hmm. in their in their pain. I mean, Lewis comes back to a place where he could affirm everything that he said in a, in the problem of pain, mm-hmm. but he had to go through all that first. And the the answers that he wrote himself 
weren't sufficient in that moment to to do that. What he needed was just the presence of God. And, Absolutely. And, and right. you, you were speaking earlier about doubt and uh, the importance of being able to have the space and the place to wrestle with doubt. Uh, one of our colleagues, um, Steph Williams O'Brien, who is the co-pastor of uh, Mill City Church, um, has just wrote written a book that's processing that. And Stephanie will be in our chapel uh, for several days this fall to help us to talk about journeying faithfully through doubt. I think it's one of the most important things that we as college um, faculty and staff certainly need to wrestle through with our students is there are so many questions that they have. And many that, again, as you have said, we have the information and the ability to answer those questions. Uh, I wonder how many pastors feel as though in the busyness of their time and sermon prep and baptisms and deaths and attending to their own families, they have the time to do that, which is why seminary education and in many ways we've created this podcast right. to be a forum for busy pastors, lay persons, uh, everyday persons to uh, be able to engage with us around issues that we value. We are not simply theologians and pastors. We're individuals who have sat with individuals who have wrestled with these things. And Bethel University and Bethel Seminary are places where we can equip people, whether it's for a day in a seminar or in a degree program, to help individuals understand how to faithfully wrestle with these things. But we are not without hope, and we are not without help. That's right. That's why we're here. That's right. Well, that's a... A great note. Unfortunately, we, I think we have to wrap things up. Our time, it goes so quickly when we have these conversations. I really appreciate it. But uh, Laurel, thanks for this conversation and your insights. And I think we need to be thinking about getting Steph on this podcast, have an episode around that. I'm really excited about her book as she shared with me a bit about what it's what it's about. And I think that's going to be a great resource for people to, to really help people through what is, a, a, I think, a normal part of a spiritual journey is those moments of doubt. And we see that in biblical figures. We see that in, in great Christian leaders. Moments of doubt don't have to result in people walking away from the faith. And uh, good discipleship can really help that. And, and I think also a stance that says this is part of discipleship. This is a normal part of the Christian walk to have questions, to, to not have everything wired together at every moment. So I think that's going to be a great resource for folks. We'll put some information about that in the, in the show notes so that people can look for it. I don't think it's quite out yet. It'll be out in a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. but look forward to seeing that and that can be a great resource for you. So again, thank you, Laurel, for being a part of this conversation. Thank you to all of our listeners for being a part of this episode of Whole and Holy. I want to encourage you to send us any feedback that you have, including ideas you have for future episodes, to the email address wholeandholy, and there are hyphens between each word, so whole-and-holy, at bethel.edu. We welcome your feedback and, again, those ideas for, for show notes or for, for topics that you'd like to see in uh, future episodes. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Whole and Holy. This podcast is a production of Bethel Seminary in collaboration with Bethel University's Office of Church Relations. Please share your feedback with us, including ideas you'd like to see in future episodes, 
by emailing us at wholeandholy at Bethel.edu. Once again, that address is wholeandholy at Bethel.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.